Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Well, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. It's one of our text scriptures for the series one. And it says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, wherein thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Now, it's only a good fight if you win. It's not a good fight if you lose. Say, like, oh, you played a good game, Johnny. Well, now we're not here to play a good game. We're here to win. We're not the seven and under basketball league that's more excited about the snacks after the game than actually playing the game. We believe in winning in life. Why? God never planned a failure. God never planned your defeat. He never planned for you to lose. You were born again to win. Victory is part of your inheritance. Victory is in your DNA. Thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph. Not sometimes, not in the sweet by and by, but always. Not just when you get to heaven, but now, always. So we are to fight the good fight of faith. And so we looked in the weeks past, we understood who we are in Christ. We understood who our enemy is. And then we began to look at the only five tactics Satan has. So go to Mark chapter four. We looked and learned how our enemy is a defeated foe. He is defeated. And he's limited to only five tactics. And so it just makes logical sense if he only has five strategies or five wiles or five tactics, if I learn how to defeat those five, he can't beat me. So Mark chapter four, start with verse three. Jesus is telling the most important parable in the Bible. As you read all of chapter 4, you understand it's the key to unlocking the other parables. So Mark chapter 4, beginning with verse 3. Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow, and it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up, and some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched because it had no root, and it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. Another fell on good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased, and brought forth some thirty, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Thank God we have ears to hear today. Amen? Amen. Go to verse 13. And he said, Know ye not this parable? How then will you know all parables? Because it's the key parable. The sower sows the word. And these are they by the wayside, where the word is sown. What is wayside? It's highway side. So just like you would not in your right mind plant anything on the side of 285, 75, or 85, because you know that's not good soil to grow something. How many of you want to eat apples or peaches that are from the side of 285? No, it's not good grown ground. So he's comparing people's hearts to the side of the highway. And these are likewise that are sold on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. 
and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. So one of the things you see in verse, these first two verses, in verse 15 and verse 16, highway side heart, as well as stony ground heart. The highway side or the wayside heart is they didn't want the word or they don't believe or understand the word. So when they make a decision, I don't want it, Satan comes and takes the word away. Now the ones who have stony ground, notice they received the word so they believed it. They said it received it with gladness so they received it with a shout like we did earlier. But what happened when they left church, when they left the meeting, they didn't do anything with it. They didn't, we looked at it last week. They didn't let the word go deep down in their heart. They didn't cultivate the soil of their heart. And so it was still stony. They didn't apply the word. They didn't read the word. They didn't speak the word. They didn't meditate the word. They didn't study the word. So when the word went in, they left it there. It grew. But then when affliction and persecution came, and the parables compare it to the sun and the weather, it scorched it. They withered away, and there was no evidence left that they ever had production in the first place. We defined last week that affliction is pressure brought by circumstance, right? We said last week that persecution is pressure brought by people. So we looked at last week dealing with pressure. And so what happens when the pressure is applied, these people who had no root became trapped, they stumbled, they were enticed to sin. So all their production disappeared like they never received the word in the first place. So wayside and stony ground hearts are self-inflicted wounds. Wayside and stony ground hearts are self-inflicted wounds. That's nothing to do with the devil. You did that to yourself. But then there's five tactics of the enemy that are clothed in deceit. It's affliction, persecution, cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and lust of other things. What are the five? Affliction, persecution, cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and lust of other things. We said last week, if you do not let the word take root in your life, you will not endure long in this life. An attempt to stop the word from producing, Satan stirs up affliction and persecution. Now notice, affliction and persecution come from the outside. It's that scorching sun that tries to burn away what's already producing. But then when you get to thorny ground, which we'll talk about today, deceitfulness of riches, lust of other things, and the cares of this world, it comes up from the same ground the word came from. So these are inside issues. So today we're talking about fight the battle within. Fight the battle within. These are eternal ish, internal issues, the matters of the heart. As we said on the first and the second week we did the series, there are three sowers in the word of God. There's God, there's you, and there's the devil. All three have sowing ability. So if thorns grew up from the field, which is the heart, the only way they get there is because they were sown. God's not going to sow thorns into your heart. So the only way that gets there is because either you sowed them there or Satan did. Because what happens when those, those thorny seeds are sown, they grow up and it says they choke the word and it becomes unfruitful, verse 19. That word choke also means to crowd out. 
How do you remember playing musical chairs when you were children? In that game, the fastest wasn't always the one who won. Sometimes the person who had the biggest booty was the one who won. Because they knocked you out of that chair. That's what cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and lust of other things try to do to the world. They try to crowd it out. They try to choke it so it has no life whatsoever. So one thing about thorny ground, the thorns are, you can either have thorns that are already there and developed, or the seeds of thorns are there, yet there's no production yet, or the seeds are allowed to be sown after you receive the word. So let's look at the first thorn, the first thorny weed, cares of this world. The word cares is defined as anxiety, worry, and distractions. Anxiety, worry, and distractions. You know, why do we have so many modern advancements, technology, medicine, life, and comfort, yet it seems like we're the most anxious we've ever been? That more people are on anxiety medicine than ever. So care is anxiety, worry, distractions. It's that which draws you into a different direction and causes an anxious care. Is that which draws you in a different direction and causes an anxious care. Luke 21, 34 warns us from allowing our hearts to be so weighed down with care that we miss the return of the Lord. It's so possible that you're so distracted by the cares of this world, by anxiety, that you miss it when Jesus comes back. How would you miss it? You're distracted. You're not looking for him. Remember the Bible says he's coming back for those who are looking for his return. If you are not looking, you won't go. But I'm saved, yes, but you won't go. There's many raptures in the Bible. There's seven. The first one, Enoch. Second one, Elijah. Third one, Jesus. The fourth one, the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. The fifth one, the mid-tribulation rapture of tribulation saints. Next, the 144,000 witnesses in the tribulation. The seventh, the two witnesses at the very last day. So if you miss the first bus ride, you can get in on the second, but don't miss the first one. You can trip all you want to, but I'm out. It's like, oh, well, three and a half years is not too long. No, I don't want to go through none of it. Why? The Bible tells me I'm redeemed from wrath. So why experience any type of wrath just because I got distracted? Mm -mm. Don't let the cares of the world cause you to miss what God has for you. Your soul, which is your mind, your will, and the seat of your emotions is the gateway to your heart. Your soul, which is your mind, your will, and the seat of your emotions is the gateway to your heart. Your soul and your spirit are not the same. They're similar, but they're not the same. Remember, the Bible tells us in Thessalonians and in Hebrews about the power of the word of God that it can divide the body, the soul, and the spirit. Proverbs 4, 23 tells us to keep or to guard our heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So if you don't guard your heart, 
the seeds of the cares of this world, of the deceitfulness of riches, of the lust of other things will be sown in and you'll lose out of the production of the word. You might say, you're a good person. Still going to heaven, but you have no production of the word in your life. And that's not what God intends. So we have to guard our heart. We have to make sure these seeds aren't planted. But if we're in a condition today and we have allowed the cares of life, the deceitfulness of riches or less of other things to be planted or to grow up, we must obey the command of Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 3, which says, break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. We must take the personal responsibility to make sure our heart is good ground for the word. It's not the preacher's job. It's not your mama's job. It's not some super spiritual person's job. It's your job. You have to make sure that your heart is good ground for the word of God. And that's an everyday thing, not just a Sunday thing. So go to Philippians chapter 4. Let's talk about how to deal with the strategy from the enemy of cares of this world. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Verse 6. Be careful for nothing. If you are careful, that means you are full of care. If you are full of care, your heart is weighed down with care and you are distracted and not focused on what you should be. In Luke 10, 41, Jesus told Martha that she was careful and troubled about many things. As a result, she was busy being distracted and she missed what was important which was sitting at Jesus' feet and receiving the word of God. Martha got so distracted by care that she questioned if Jesus actually cared for her. So you can get so wrapped up in the cares of this life, you go, I wonder if God even cares about me. Start sounding religious. I don't know if God cares about little old me. He might care about so-and-so, but what about me? The cares of this world has grown up in your heart. So be careful for Nothing, but in everything, not because of everything, but in everything, no matter what you're going through, by prayer and supplication, supplication is a request for a need, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Why would we request with thanksgiving? 1 John 5, 15. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions we desired of him. So the thing is, if I'm praying according to the word, I know God hears me. And if I'm praying according to the word, I know he hears me. I know I have it. So if I'm making the request, I might as well add a praise to it because I count it done. So instead of being full of care, I'm praying about it, making my request and giving God the glory because I know it's done. 
So you pray that prayer, and then every single day, you get up and give God thanks. You get up, you give God thanks. Get up, you give God thanks. Going throughout the day, you're reminded, well, you need this. Well, I thank God that he supplies all my needs. Go to bed at night. Oh, I give God thanks. You keep doing it until it manifests. And then when it manifests, you give God thanks. He did it again. Verse 7. What is the result of being careful for nothing? What is the result of in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving? Making your request known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep or guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So instead of being full of care and anxiety and worry, the peace of God, that supernatural peace that people can't understand will guard your heart and your mind. So you could be going through everything, could be crazy around you, but you are at peace. Because you've already prayed about it. You already prayed the word. You've already thanked God for it. So you know what's going to happen. So you can just stay at peace knowing, oh, any day now, any moment now. Why stress out when God's got it? Because if I worry and I stress, it's not going to change anything. It's going to make me feel bad. So I live carefree. You got to start saying, you just don't know how much I don't care. I don't care. Satan brings care. I don't care. Get an attitude with it. I don't care. I remember Brother Cope was preaching on this message maybe somewhere around five to eight years ago. And he was teaching on not caring to care and the time when a U.S. senator tried to overstep his bounds and go after certain preachers. Made a big show about it, put it in the newspaper, put it on the media. I was at a Brother Cope meeting. He said, I can't tell you how much I don't care. <laughs> what? Mm-mm. Senator was wrong. He had to backtrack what he said. You know, he didn't do it as publicly. He put like a little small thing in a newspaper that no one read. But instead of allowing persecution or affliction to bother him, he said, I'm not going to carry a care. Why? You weren't meant to carry it. That's why when you have care, worry, and anxiety, it breaks down your body. You were never meant to be careful or full of care. Now, you can be wise. You can do what you're supposed to do, but you're not supposed to be full of worry and anxiety. So remember, Satan is a sower too. So you have to guard your heart to keep from cares being sown in. Look what verse 8 says. It's the key to guarding your heart. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue... If there be any praise, think on these things. If you want to walk and live in peace, if you want to guard your heart and keep the cares of the world from being sown in, you got to control your thought life. You can't just think on everything. Because Satan will try to send thoughts your way. Your mind is a battlefield. So he may try to send some little demon imp to sit on your shoulder and lie to you. Because remember, he's a liar. Or he may try to send somebody your way and lie through them. And bring a care your way. Or y'all be watching the crazy shows and you start wondering, well, what if that happens to me? 
You're watching soap operas in the day and at night. Just because it's at night in primetime television doesn't mean it's not a soap opera. And the show's over. What if that happens to me? What if they cheat on me? What if they steal from me? What if this happens? What if this happens? See, what if is the badge of doubt? You let one episode of a TV show move you from faith into fear and doubt. And now you go thinking, well, what about me? What if that happens to me? What if that happens to me? What happens to me? You keep thinking on that, then he starts saying it, and it happens to you. Because a seed was sown because you didn't guard your heart. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Smith Wigglesworth says something like this. If Satan can get you into doubt and out of faith, he can move you out of God's plan for your life. If Satan gets you into doubt and out of faith, he can move you out of God's plan for your life. Because remember, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, you can't do what God called you to do. So if Satan gets you out of faith, you can't fulfill your purpose. In order to fulfill your purpose in this life, you've got to walk by faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Remember, it's a fight. It's a battle. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So number one, dealing with cares of this world, you need to control your thought life. Number one, control your thought life. You have to cast down every imagination that is full of care and opposed to God's word. You have to capture every care-filled thought. You cannot just think and think and think on it. Because when you think on it, you take it. And when you take it, it grows and becomes a stronghold or a mentality. And once it becomes a stronghold or mentality, you begin to say it, and then it directs your life. You have to stop it at a thought. When you look at all these criminals, mass criminals, mass murders, all this, do you think all of a sudden they woke up one morning and said, I want to kill everybody? No, no, no. It started a long time ago as a thought. They never checked that thought, and it led them to do the evil things they did. You got to catch it when it's a thought. Because a thought is a seed. If you catch it when it's a seed, it can't become a root and it can't produce fruit. Go to Matthew. If you catch it as a seed, it can't become a root and it can't produce fruit. Matthew 6, 31. Notice what Jesus said. Matthew 6, 31. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Another way you take a thought is by opening your mouth and saying it. Don't take the thoughts that come your way. It's also translated in the same Greek word, don't be anxious. Don't worry about anything. Taking thoughts of doubt and unbelief leads to worry, fear, and anxiety. So you must control your thought life. 
Go to Matthew, and I'll go to Hebrews chapter 12. How do you control your thought life? Open your mouth and say something. The words of your mouth will disrupt the thought process of your mind. The words of your mouth will disrupt the thought process of your mind. So you're having a battle with a certain area and all these thoughts are coming to your mind. Don't just sit there, be quiet. Open your mouth and say the word. Open your mouth and say something. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. We looked at the verse 1 last week. But let's look at just verse 2. Notice what it says. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Number two, to deal with the cares of this world, you must refocus. You must refocus. You must go in for the tight shot and ignore the distraction. So let me mess with the camera crew before because I didn't tell them I was going to do this. I want you to zoom in on me. Zoom in on my face. I think I cut out all the gray hair so you won't see it. Just go ahead and zoom in. <laughs> as cl close as you can go. Now notice, look at the screen. That's all you can see. So if somebody was standing right there, you couldn't see them. If somebody was standing right there, you couldn't see them. If there was an elephant over there, you could not see it. Why? You are focused in a tight shot. And so you may have a lot of cares and distractions and worries all around you. Stop paying them attention and focus on the tight shot of Jesus. You can draw back. You have to refocus when it comes to the cares of this world. You can't focus on all the things going on. You have to look at Jesus. You have to follow his example. You have to, like he did, look for the joy that's before you. So no, God is faithful. Whatever he said is coming to pass. So focus. Focus on God's plan, his purpose, his will, and follow him. Go to Colossians chapter 3. We must learn to refocus. Because the purpose of anxiety and worry is to get you distracted. To go in a different direction. Colossians 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. We must learn to refocus. So number one, control your thought life. Number two, refocus. So we looked at going in for the tight shot. Look what it says, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits at the right hand of God, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. The message version says, verse 2, see things from his perspective. See things from God's perspective. So in other words, go in for the extreme wide shot. Mess with the camera crew again. Get as wide as you can. Now, why do you know need a wide shot? If you're going to see things from God's perspective, you have to see where he's seated. It says at the throne of God, right? So to look at your problem on the earth, it's really small. 
It's big to you when you're up on it. But when it's far away, it's really small. But if you're going to see from his perspective, before you can even see the problem, remember, you're seated at the right hand of God. All around him is glorious majesty. It's cloud. It's lightning. It's light. It's fire. It's a glorious storm of God's power. So in order to see your problem, you have to first go through the power of God. Then it talks about in the book of Revelation, also around the throne is a rainbow. It means the covenant of God, his promises. So before you can see your problem, you have to go through the power and then go through the promises. And then if you can see it through the power and the promises, remember, night and day, angels circle the throne of God. And it says the angels in Psalm 103, they excel in strength. They are supernaturally powerful beings. So in order to see your problem, you have to go through the power, you have to go through the promise, and you have to go through the powerful strength of the angels. And even if you can see it, that small little thing. You know what it says God does on the throne? What Psalm says? He laughs. So this small little thing, you think you can handle the power of God. You think you can handle the promises of God. You think you can handle the angels of God. Ha, ha, ha. Learn to go in for the tight shot when necessary, but also learn to go for the extreme wide shot to put your life in perspective. Remember, this is what Paul did. We looked at it last week. He called his affliction light. He was going through a lot, but he said it's light. Why? It's light in comparison to the weight of the glory. He said his situation is temporary. Why? If it's temporary, it's going to change. So you may be dealing with something today, but you need to call it light. You need to call it temporary because you know the power of your God. So number one, control your thought life. Number two, learn to refocus. Number three, see things from God's perspective. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 is helping anybody in here. 1 Peter chapter 5. Dealing with the cares of this world. 1 Peter chapter 5. We looked at part of this passage on the first week of the series. First Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Ye all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and give grace unto the humble. Now, a lot of times we have a misunderstanding of what it means to be humble. We've let religion teach us the definition. Well, if you're humble, you believe that you're a worm. And woe is me, God, I'm not worthy. I just want to lick the boot of salvation I don't deserve to go in. And we say all this crazy stuff, thinking it's humility, but it's foolishness. It's craziness. It goes on to talk about what humility is. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. 
Humility is lining up to what God says about you, not what you say. Because you can call yourself unworthy, and that's a form of pride. Because what you're saying, I'm unworthy, you're saying the blood of Jesus wasn't enough to fix me and to cleanse me. My problems are too big for the blood. That's an insult. The blood made you worthy, period. He says, well, well, I don't deserve it. The blood made you deserve it. Because what you get is what Jesus earned, not what you earned. So stop saying, well, I'm not worthy. Stop saying it. You are worthy. Not because you did right, because Jesus did right. As soon as you received Jesus, you received his worthiness. Because when you pray in the name of Jesus, I'm praying in his authority, I'm praying in his character, I'm praying in his place. So I expect the same results Jesus would get if he prayed this way. Humble yourselves on the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up at the set time. That's what due time means. What's also humbling yourself? Casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. If you refuse to cast your care, if you make a decision to carry every care, to keep every worry, to keep every anxiety, that is pride. You were never meant to carry a care as we said before. God never designed you to carry it. In the old biblical days, they would have used this example. If they're walking down the road and they had a donkey, there's no sense for the man or woman to be carrying a 100-pound weight. Put it on the donkey. If you were moving out of your house and you had a big, strong friend who could pick up the couch by himself without any issue, why are you trying to pick it up? You just go order pizza or something. Let him do what he's got to do. Don't carry what you weren't meant to carry. God was meant to carry your care. He's meant to bear every burden. Why? He cares for you. So you don't care, but you let God care for you. And he always takes care of his children in grand style. So cast every care. That's number four. Cast every care and leave it there. Don't cast it on Sunday and pick it up on Monday. Cast it and leave it there. Well, the thought came back. Cast it again. Refuse to take it back. Refuse to worry. Because the scripture goes on, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, didn't say he was, but he says he's acting like one, walks about seeking whom he may devour. If there are whoms he can devour, there's whom he can't devour. But if you carry your care and don't cast it, you are the one Satan can devour. But if you cast your care, he can't devour you. If you stay in pride and your false religious humility, Satan can devour you. But if you cast every care, you humble yourself on the mighty hand of God, he can't devour you. So the first four we looked at, one, control your thought life. Number two, refocus. Number three, see things from God's perspective. Number four, cast every care and leave it there. So the fourth tactic of the enemy is deceitfulness of riches. Deceitfulness of riches. If you are deceived, it means you believe a lie. If you are deceived, it means you believe a lie. It means you are deluded. Believing lies about money will choke and crowd out the production of the word in your life. Believing lies about money would choke and crowd out the production of the word in your life. 
Here's some example about lies about money. If you do whatever you have to do to get it, you're deceived by it. Because if you do whatever you have to do to get it, that means you violate the law of love. And you don't mind stepping on people to get it. You're compromising to get it. And whatever you comp- compromise to keep, you will eventually lose. Whatever you compromise, going up the mountain will rule you when you get to the top. If you think money will solve all your problems, you are deceived by it. If you think money will solve all your problems, you are deceived by it. If you think money is evil, you are deceived by it. If you think money is evil, you are deceived by it. But pastor, the Bible says, no, it doesn't. Let me prove it to you. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you think money is evil, you're deceived by it. See, the thing is, you can be broke and be deceived by riches. You can be rich and be deceived by riches. doesn't matter what your financial state is. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5. It says, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth, supposing, that's what they suppose, that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. What does it mean saying gain is godliness? Making money is their religion. It's why they exist. It motivates everything they do. I got to get more money. I got to get more money. I got to get more money. Notice what he says. But godliness with contentment is great gain. What is contentment? It is a state of happiness and satisfaction. Contentment is a state of happiness and satisfaction. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Let us be happy and satisfied. But when I looked up the word food and raiment in the Greek, the word food means sustenance. That which supports and maintains life. Food, drink, nourishment, and provision. The word raiment meant covering and clothing, so house and clothes. So Paul is saying you have food, drink, nourishment, provision, house and clothes. Be content, be happy, and be satisfied. Now, you can be satisfied and still believe for more. You're satisfied, but you can always advance, right? Because remember, one level of satisfaction, so let's say it's just you and your spouse. You have enough for you, enough for your house. You have enough to bless other people with, so you're content and happy. But if you've got a kid, you need some more. How many of you believe that? I'm just a month in, and I believe that. <laughs> So you can always believe for more. You can always advance and go forward and still be content. Your situation should not rob your happiness or your joy or your satisfaction. What does it say next? But they that will be rich. The Amplified Version says this way. But those who are not financially ethical and crave to get rich with a compulsive, greedy longing for wealth. So this is not a desire. This is not just a desire. It has crossed into lust. It is an inordinate desire. It is a lusting for money that will violate the law of love to get it. This is the person who money is their religion and will do whatever they have to to get it. 
For they will, those who crave and lust to be rich, fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. See, there it is, Pastor Nelson, the love of money. Didn't say money. The love of money. The love of money is just one word in the Greek. It's a phrase. We translate it into a phrase, but in the Greek it's one word, which means avarice or extreme greed. So you could read it this way. Extreme greed is the root of all evil. Extreme greed is the root of all evil, not money. And an appropriate relationship with money, where the person lusts for it, is the root of all evil. Those who have this inappropriate relationship are deceived by it and are allowing that and the lust of other things to choke and crowd out the word. You can have an inappropriate relationship with money and be broke. You can convince yourself by listening to religion and Satan that money is evil, being broke is godly, and lose production of the word. Why? You're deceived by it. You can have a lot and be deceived by it. You can have nothing and be deceived by it. This is a tactic of the enemy. If you can't make it greedy, it can make you religiously stupid. Still the same tactic. So by, look at the next verse. While some coveted after, so not just want it, they coveted. If you covet, that means you want something that's someone else's. That means you want something that does not belong to you. It's unfair they have all that money. They shouldn't have it. I should take it. Or let's change the government to take from them and give to me because I want it. You didn't work for it. You didn't work hard, but you want what someone else got. That's deceitfulness of riches. And it's sweeping a generation. I'll be quiet if you want to. Jesus was a socialist. No, he wasn't. Don't let them tell you that. What was he? He's Jesus. If you study it out, I'll probably preach it one day. He was a great healing philanthropist. He wasn't a socialist. He's a guy who provides all needs. So what happens, socialism is believing in man or government to meet your needs. God's against a lot of isms. Why? He doesn't want you to put your faith or your trust in the government. Your government is not your God. Doesn't matter who's elected. An elephant can't be your God. A donkey can't be your God. Don't put your faith and trust in a candidate. Psalms tells us trust not in princes. We pray for them. Thank God for them. We vote as we're led by our heart and what we can see in the word. But our trust is not in elected officials. Thank God. If you didn't know that before, look at this election season and thank God again. So don't stress about it. Trust Jesus. Because remember, it says they erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows because they were going after money the wrong way. But Proverbs 10, 22 says, the blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich. And he addeth no sorrow with it. So there is a way to become rich without violating the law of love, without being deceived by money, and without being greedy. How? The blessing will do it. 
God has a blessed path for you. God has a blessed plan for you. Now, you come up with a plan and ask God to bless it. God already has a plan that is blessed. You seek him for it, he'll show you, and it'll work out for your good. The blessing of the Lord maketh rich and has no sorrow to it. That word rich means having abundance, having more than enough, wealthy, possessing a large quantity of lands, goods, or money. So Apostle Paul is not against people having money. Look at verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world. He's talking to people in the church Timothy's at who's financially affluent. Say, that's me. Well, I guess there's only a few of y'all. So charge them that are rich in this world. Say, hey, he's talking to me. Help your neighbor. Say, pay attention. He's, pay attention. He's talking to us. <laughs> that they be not high-minded. That's a good one. Nor trust in uncertain riches. But in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Does God give you things to meet your needs? No. Let's read that scripture again. Y'all like, yes, no. Who gives us richly all things to what? Not just meet your needs. To in joy. So not just having a car just gets you from A to B, thank God for it. But a car that you in joy. Not just a house that keeps the rain off you, that you have air conditioning during the summer and heat during the winter, but a house that you in joy. This is why I haven't seen one. Build it. Why not? Build it. The blessing under the law was that he'll give you goodly houses that you didn't have to build. Now, there were some who built it because they wanted to, but some just inherited or they got it. So if that was a blessing under the law, it's a greater blessing under the new covenant. Things for you to enjoy. Not just barely enough. Not just, oh, I got enough for me. Because if you just got enough for you, you don't have enough for anybody else. He gives you all things to richly enjoy. Remember John 10, 10, Jesus came that you might have and enjoy life. God wants you to enjoy your life. Then he tells them that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. So they're rich. He's giving them things to richly enjoy. Now I want you to give, be rich in good works, be always ready to give. Because the thing is, if they're always ready to give, they're always ready to receive. Because if they're always sowing, they're going to reap. Because they can't beat God given. So they keep giving it out. It keeps coming back to them. That's increasing to such a point that when their prosperity comes, people don't even understand it. But it's not supposed to make sense. It's supposed to make faith. So why have more than enough for me? Well, what about your kids? I got more than enough for them. Well, start paying off someone else's bills. Go buy someone else a house. Well, I did that. Buy someone else a car. Go around and start paying off churches. What do, you, what do you need? Oh, there you go. Oh, you need $100,000. I got that yesterday. Here you go. Well, what if we go from there? Then we pay off the national debt. You know what happened if the church pays off the national debt? The government, which already works for us, definitely works for us. You can't make laws. No, 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 no. 
You can't say that because I just paid off your trillion dollar, multi-trillion dollar debt. Here's what laws I want. So yeah, that went over. Just grab up, just grab it. Just grab it by faith. Go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Matthew 6, 24. For the sake of time, we'll begin to read. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and money. So what is God, Jesus talking about? Money and who you serve. Is God your God or is money your God? Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat and what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on, is not life more than meat and body than raiment. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Yes, God likes birds, but he likes you more than some birds. And if he takes care of the birds, why won't he take care of you? Which one of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto a stature? Which one of you by worrying can grow taller? Why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon, that was one rich dude, in all his glory was not arrayed in one of these. Solomon had billions of dollars worth of gold coming to him every year. Every year. He had some nice clothes. Probably the best in all the earth. But Jesus says, it doesn't compare to how God clothes the field. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more, not more, not the same way, much more, clothe you, O ye of little faith. So wait a minute. If he clothes Solomon... If he clothed the field, he will clothe you. So some of y'all believe for a new wardrobe, here's a scripture to stand on. Put it in your mouth. Call the outfits that you like. Not the outfits you can afford. Call the outfits that you like. Because one thing, you know, when you look at different celebrities, you know, a lot of the clothes they wear, they didn't even pay for it. The company gave it to them. They can give it to you too. They don't even have to know you. Set your faith. Take no th- therefore, take no thought saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things, what is he talking about? Things. Are he talking about spiritual things? No. Natural things. Do the Gentiles seek? Gentiles are people without a covenant. This is all the people without a covenant, without promises, are going after these things. It says, for your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first. Here's what you need to do. Don't seek the things. You seek first the kingdom of God. We've been looking at the laws of the kingdom on Wednesday night. And his righteousness, God's way of being right. And all these things shall be added unto you. You seek God. You seek his way of being right. You do what he said, all these things shall be added unto you. So number five, 
Get your priorities in order. Get your priorities in order. Put God, his instructions to you on how to live, which is his way of being right, and what he's called you to do in first place. Put God, his instructions to you on how to live, which is his way of being right, and what he's called you to do in first place. One more passage and we're done. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And when he, Jesus, was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? The word master means teacher. And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. Now, wait a minute. Isn't Jesus God? Yes, he's the son of God. But this man talked to him, did not know that. So number one, this man does not know who Jesus is. To him, he's just a good teacher. So he says, thou knows the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, master or a teacher, all these things have I observed from my youth. That dude's doing pretty good. Because I've been doing this since I was a kid. He had a good social gospel. His social life between others was right. And Jesus beholding him loved him. So whatever Jesus is about to say is out of love. And said unto him, one thing thou lackest. That's pretty good. One thing. Some of us, we had that conversation. Two things, three things, four things, five, six things, seven things, 805. One thing that thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatever you have, give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. So notice, this instruction is not to everybody, it's to this one individual. What you have, sell it. Give it away. No, he's sowing seed. And the kingdom, if he sows it, it's coming back to him. He doesn't understand that yet. He says, you come, take up your cross, and follow me. Everybody Jesus said, follow me to, was on his staff. He paid all their bills. Because remember, Peter followed Jesus, yet he had a family. He's not a fisherman anymore, so Jesus not only had to take care of Peter, but he had to pay for whatever his wife and his family needed. He also had to pay for his, Peter's mother-in-law because she lived with Peter's family. So Jesus had to take care of that, plus the 11 other disciples. So he said, come and join my staff. I got you. But notice what this next. And he was sad at that saying, like some of y'all at offering time. <laughs> and went away grieved. Grief is associated with loss. He thought if he did it, he would lose something. Not realizing he would gain everything. It's not foolish to give away what you can't keep. To, get, to receive something that's worth more than you can ever afford. It's not foolish to give away what you can't keep in order to receive something that's greater than you ever can afford. For he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. Now, if all the disciples were broken, say, amen, preach, preacher, we believe it. 
And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again, children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? Now, why did he tell this rich young ruler to give away what he had? Because the money was his idol. The money was his God. Although he was generous, although he did all these right things towards people, his relationship with God wasn't right. And Jesus said, in order for me to fix it for you, I need you to give away everything, and I need you to depend on me. That's not his instructions to everybody, but that was his specific instructions to this one rich young ruler. But he went away because he had great possessions, and those great possessions had him. His trust was in the money. He said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man, in context, a rich man that trusted riches to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? Wait a minute, you only say that if you got some money. Remember, some of the disciples, they were businessmen, they were fishermen. Some were tax collectors. Matthew got money. Tax collectors in those days, you know, you paid Caesar and then you paid yourself. So, you know, there wasn't a lot of guidance. You put 10000 for Caesar, 10000 for me. You owe 20000 today. Matthew had money. A lot of these other people had money. And Jesus looking upon them says, with men it's impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. Then Peter began to say unto him, remember he's beginning, so he has his long speech prepared. He's listening to this. He got something to reply with. Lo, we have left all and followed you. We didn't just, we didn't turn away. We left everything to follow you. Remember when Peter had that net breaking harvest, he left it on the shore and followed Jesus. He's thinking about, look. How much did I give up to follow you? So he began to say that, and Jesus answered and said before he could even finish, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that has left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the sake of the gospels. But he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers, no more wives, and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come, eternal life. (laughs) Notice, 100 times. Peter wasn't always at home because he had to follow Jesus. But when he studied the book of Acts, he always had some place to stay. He stayed with generals. He stayed with business people. Wherever he went, he had some place to stay. That sounds like a hundred times coming back to him. He says, whatever you gave up for me, because I told you to, or because I required you to, or because you made this life decision to follow me and you had to give up some things. Whatever you gave up for me and for the sake of the gospel, you shall receive now in this time. Not in the life to come, in this time, 100-fold. What is that? 100 times. So when your harvest comes in, notice he says you'll receive 100 times with persecutions. You'll receive it, but pressure is going to come from people. You get blessed, they're going to talk about you. I don't know how they got it. I don't know why they got it. I need it. I don't know why they had it. They had enough already. They're going to talk about you. There will be people pressure. Well, they talked about Jesus, you know. Remember, Jesus went places, he had multiple boats with him. Why does that preacher need all those boats? 
Why does he need those nice clothes? Remember, he had nice clothes on the cross. That's why they took it and tried to sell it. Why does Jesus have that? Why does Jesus have that? They may talk a lot, but all you need to do is laugh your way to the bank. We talked about dealing with pressure last week. Don't let it move you. When your harvest comes in, ha, 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 God is faithful again. He is always faithful. So don't trust in riches. Number six, trust in God. Place your confidence in God as your source. Not money, not your education, not your ability, not the government. Trust in God. Have faith in God. God is your source. He told Abram in the book of Genesis, he said, I am your shield and your ever-increasing money supply. Hey, I am your source, not all these other things. Now, it's good in your life to have many resources, many different avenues God can get it to you. But God is your source. He's the one who supplies all your needs and gives you all things to enjoy. Don't get it twisted. Your job is not your source. The economy is not your source. Who you know is not your source. Your education is not your source. Your ability is not your source. It is God in heaven. Jehovah Jireh, the God who sees and provides. El Shaddai, the God who's more than enough, the all-sufficient one who has all power to do you all good. Remember who he is. Put your trust in him and then break out on the left, break out on the right, go forward and prosper and have a great year. Trust in God. You don't have any problems. All you need is faith in God. Stand to your feet. Praise God. Praise God. Let's lift our hands and thank God for the word of God. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for giving us the strategies on how to defeat cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. We thank you that you taught us how to deal with affliction and persecution. We thank you for what you'll teach us how to deal with lust of other things. We trust you when we believe, and we thank you always cause us to triumph. Thank you for the word and the revelation of your word brought by the Holy Spirit. You can put your hands down, every head bowed, every eye closed in prayer. No one moving or walking unless you've been assigned. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.